We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth. Many statements that we believe to be true are in fact massive whoppers. For example, it's often said that men think about sex every seven seconds. Of course, most men don't. It just works out as that on average when you take into account Russell Brand. <laughs> Today we have four comedians with us who plan to spend the next 30 minutes spinning lies into comedy gold. Please welcome Miranda Hart, Arthur Smith, Sue Perkins and Sean Locke. Here's how it works. Each of the panel will present a short lecture on a given subject that should be entirely made up, save for five pieces of true information which the panellist should attempt to smuggle past his opponents. Points are scored by truths which go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a truth for a lie. We'll begin with Sue Perkins. Sue is the star of The Supersizers Go, in which she eats foods from different periods of history. During the last series, Sue ate a combination of sheep's heads, coxcombs and duck's blood. And when she'd finished her kebab, a full Elizabethan banquet as well. <laughs> Your subject, Sue, is Henry VIII, King of England from 1509 to 1547 and the second monarch of the House of Tudor, who's perhaps best known for his six wives, his break with Rome and his dissolution of the monasteries. Fingers on buzzers, everyone else. Off you go, Sue. Because of his extremely short stature, Henry VIII was the first English king to be addressed as Your Majesty instead of Your Highness. Uh, before that, the king was known as Fat Man, with loud voice and pointy gold hat from Charlot Jeanpour. <laughs> Henry VIII uh, inherited the throne and his middle name from his father, Edward V. <laughs> Henry was a staunch defender of the Catholics and indeed ran a charity sanctuary for papal bulls. Arthur. Well, clearly, there's some rubbish going on here. <laughs> Pretty much the last three sentences, actually, I should say. You're saying all three are lies or true? Uh, they're all... Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> how stupid. How oh, you, no, how embarrassing. I, I thought I'd come in just a minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that, that's fine, but you, you think so far nothing is true. Yeah. But, but I know something's true. Right. No, I, I, I was too late. You, you think that something yeah. is true? Yeah. His middle name. His middle, middle name, name. Middle yeah. Name, yeah. True. Yeah. Henry VIII inherited his middle name from Edward. His middle name is The. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. His middle name could have been Edward. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I yes. wondered why they laughed there. Right, I've yeah. got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, good. You see, they're just enjoying it. We're looking for facts. Yeah. 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 Uh, shall I carry on? Carry on. Yeah. What was my subject on? Henry VIII. Oh, he's dead. Let's move on. Uh, OK, uh, well, that's so... That's true. What is? <laughs> he is definitely he, dead. He is he? dead, yeah. but I don't think that was part of uh, Sue's official <laughs> remarks in the context of the game, I don't think. Henry invented real tennis. Up till then, tennis had been purely... Sean. That's true. No, it isn't true. No, no, it isn't true. No, do you? <laughs> you know as soon as you buzzed, really. Yeah. Well, you, you can sense of... it. But they do have that real tennis court, isn't they, at Hampton Court, I think? It's not imaginary or anything, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can see it. Yeah, I've never understood it, real tennis. What is it? It is, it's unlike the real IRA, real tennis <laughs> came first. <laughs> Continuity tennis um, hasn't yet emerged. Uh, Henry VIII was renowned as a dainty eater, very fussy about his food. He was the first British king to try eating turkey at Christmas. Arthur. I think it's plausible that he introduced eating turkeys at Christmas. Yes, that's absolutely true. Oh, hey! Yeah. 
although it didn't really catch on until Edward VII did it a long time later. Uh, Henry also employed a groom whose job it was to wipe the royal bottom and dry the royal way. Anne Boleyn is notable in history. Oh, I think that's possibly true, because a lot of these, like Louis XIV used to, you know, essentially... Well, clean Henry VIII's bottom. <laughs> <laughs> But they did used to do that sort of thing in, uh, was, uh, yeah, in around that time. Because Louis XIV used to sort of defecate whilst having meetings with foreign dignitaries and things. And, you know, they had to give birth in public, didn't they, as well, the Queen. So I'm sorry, I've turned it was it a life, life I'm on living... history today now. Yeah, no, well, you're absolutely right. He employed a man to wipe his bottom. It was called the groom of the stool. <laughs> Imagine that bloke telling his mum, I've got a job, mum. <laughs> It's with the king and everything. Yes, darling, and what do you do? I groom the stool. Yeah. Makes it sound like My Little Pony. <laughs> uh, Anne Boleyn is notable in history for having six fingers, though this proved to be scant compensation for having no head. Sure. Oh, I was saddened. She did, oh, no, she did. She did, she did. She did, she did six have fingers. six fingers, yeah. I know, everyone knows that, don't they? What she actually had was ten fingers. So she did have six fingers, but not, in the, another not on one yeah. hand. Just another four, did not she, another five. It's quite, a, it's quite an old sort of... They whore. spread it as a rumour because yeah. they wanted her to appear to be a witch. That's not know. fair, is it? They, no. said, they said she had six fingers. No, I mean, you and, using that rumour. And she said, they, they said that she had, like, horrible teeth. And yeah. three breasts. They said yeah. all this sort of thing. And there were so many rumours that they actually dug her up in 1876 and counted her fingers. Uh, Henry met Jane Seymour in Le Jardin de Max Factor. Uh, he'd seen her in Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, thought she was beautiful. <laughs> Anne of Cleves was so different to the portraits of her he'd been shown that when she arrived from Flanders, Henry VIII asked courtiers whether they'd inadvertently brought back a horse instead. Sean. Oh, that's true. Yes, that is true. Well it done. Is. So that was he, was a, he was a funny guy. Yeah. Oh, thank you. He called her the Flanders Mare. Oh, yeah. yeah. He sounds a bit cockney, doesn't he? Flanders Mare. Flanders Mare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Henry VIII, I am. <laughs> yeah. Come on, everybody. Henry VIII, I am, I am. No, this is not a sing-song show. <laughs> so... Uh, when Henry heard the music Green Sleeves, taken from the album Recorder Classics to Torture Adults With, he decided to have a go at writing a chart buster himself. His first effort, Pink Hat, was followed by the less successful Orange Doublet, Yellow Socks and Purple Hose, although Purple Hose was covered by Jimi Hendrix in 1967. <laughs> um, and Henry VIII's armour boasts the largest codpiece in the Tower of London. He's the only monarch whose groin echoed as he walked. I think he did, yeah. I think, I mean, if there is a codpiece on a suit of armour, I don't know. But... I'd, want a, I'd want a small one, because a big one would give people something to aim at, wouldn't it? I don't know how much fighting he did in battle, but, yeah, he did have the largest codpiece in the, in the Tower of London, so, yes. <laughs> thank you, Sue. Oh, thank you. And at the end of that round, you managed to smuggle one truth only past the rest of the panel, which is that Henry VIII was the first English king to be addressed as Your Majesty instead of Your Highness or Your Grace. <laughs> uh, but that means, Sue, you've scored one point. <laughs> Henry VIII employed someone whose job it was to wipe the royal rear. It's one of the very few jobs where it's actually inadvisable to start at the bottom and work your way up. <laughs> OK, we turn now to Arthur Smith. Arthur is a comedian who needs no introduction. So that's a bit of luck. Arthur, your subject is the cockroach, a beetle-like insect that feeds by scavenging, some species of which are well known as pests. Off you go, Arthur. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. 
Three years ago, a sound recordist from Finland, using especially enhanced equipment, was able to obtain the first recording of the sound of a cockroach farting. Miranda. Well, that's the kind of thing that people are paying for in the science world these days, aren't they? You hear things like, you know, butterflies sneezed. They discover things like that, so why not a cockroach farting? A slug burping. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. There's a lot of thing. this, isn't there, yeah, on YouTube? And I just w- sort of want to believe it. That's why I buzzed. Um, well, it's not true. Oh. Sorry. But cockroaches do fart every 15 minutes, and it is thought that insects' flatulence may account... Sean. It's true. Yes, that is absolutely true. And... Yeah, methane Mm. produced by insects is thought to account for one-fifth of all emissions on the planet. (laughs) To link the two subjects, uh, do you know, I remember reading recently that I think it was Edward II had a court jester, he was called Roland the Farter, and he used to come on with a leap, a whistle and a fart. And you've got to think that material would still work, wouldn't Mm. it? (laughs) It would give us a good chance of a gold in the Olympics, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The leap whistle instead of the hops giving a jump, the leap whistle and a fart. In 1920, a cockroach woke up one day to discover that he was a tiny Franz Kafka. (laughs) (laughs) If the cockroach was the size of a human, it could high jump 200 feet, push a five-ton boulder up a hill... Sue. I think it's true. Um, no. Now, if a cockroach was the size of a human, it could not jump 200 feet or push a five-ton boulder up a hill. And if the cockroach was the size of a human, it could run 100 metres in one second. In China, there is an entertainer who presents a cockroach circus in which the creatures, each painted a different colour, crawl through hoops on their 18 knees, balance sequins on their horns and finally perform a dozy doe square dance on a miniature silver dance floor. (laughs) Cockroaches and sex. They have sex up to 40 times a day. So if they are not farting, they are fornicating. Rather like myself in 1973. (laughs) Uh, Female cockroaches prefer males at the bottom of the social pecking order. Scientists from the University of Manchester claim some female cockroaches prefer weaker partners because they like gentle sex. They have... Miranda. Well, I think that they could prefer people... Uh, pe- sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> they're not man-sized. You... My point was, if they go for someone lower down the pecking order, they're more likely to get it, yes. Basically, you buzzed at a point where he said something true. So, yes, you get a point for that. They Hooray! do. Um, they do. Female cockroaches prefer males at the bottom of the social pecking order. Have they established the social pecking order of cockroaches? I mean... Much like, like we do men. Well, how do you do it, then? Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not fussy, but... <laughs> Sue... She has a questionnaire, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Guinness Book of Records tells us that the largest number of cockroaches ever crammed into one mouth was 172, achieved by a chap from Siberia with an unpronounceable name. Sean, I think that's true. 172? Yeah. In your mouth? Blimey, that would... No, it's not. (laughs) The record is, in fact, um, (laughs) 11. 
<laughs> is there really a record for uh, Guinness Book of Records for... Or you've made yes, that no, up? according to Insect News, <laughs> the, the world record for Goodbye, cockroaches in the mouth was set by a Kentucky man called Travis Fezier when he successfully held 11 live Madagascan hissing cockroaches in his oh. mouth for 10 seconds, but, I mean, smashing the previous record <laughs> of nine. <laughs> But that doesn't sound that many to me. I mean, I think I'm going to have a go on that record. I'm, I'm going to beat that record. I'd like to announce it. Actually, once you've got that record for having cockroaches in your mouth, doors will open for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. You have that horrible moment, but then you live like yeah. a king. Yeah. Cockroaches' favourite food is chips. The only vegetables they won't eat are cucumbers. It is a family joke among members of the royal family that the Duke of Edinburgh resembles a cockroach. Sean's buzzed, and that's treason. <laughs> so, no sorry, I'm afraid wrong. that's not true. Oh, God. No. Thank you, Arthur! <laughs> and um, at the end of that round, you managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel. And they are that if a cockroach was human-sized, it could not do the things that Sue believed in terms of lifting boulders and other things and being gentle lovers. But what they could do is run 100 metres in one second. <laughs> the cockroach does have 18 knees, so that is three knees per leg or arm. And that uh, the only vegetable they won't eat are cucumbers. Chefs in cockroach-infested kitchens have been known to slice cucumbers and line them up around the perimeter of their workstations in order to keep the cockroaches at bay. It's so peculiar, that fact, isn't it? Maybe they're like kind of class warriors, and they think of it like the cucumber sandwich representing the middle classes. That's, I think, the only explanation that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> that means at the end of that round, Arthur, you've scored three points. Well done. Very good. At the start of an edition of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Kerry Katona told 60,000 cockroaches, I ate your mum last week. Not a great advert for Iceland's new crisp and savoury bites. <laughs> right, it's now the turn of Sean Locke. Sean used to work as a builder before eventually deciding to become a comedian. Extraordinary, a builder disappearing off to do another job. <laughs> your subject, Sean, is dancing, an activity that refers to a rhythmic movement of the body in time to music. Fingers on buzz of the rest of you, off you go, Sean. I have three medals for dancing, two in Latin American and one in traditional Irish dancing. <laughs> Absolutely no chance of that. <laughs> it's one of the many things I have in common with kung fu legend Bruce Lee. Bruce was the Hong Kong cha-cha-cha champion <laughs> in 1958. Irish dancers keep their arms still because originally they were forced to dance in tiny theatres made by leprechauns. <laughs> there was no room for the upper body, which would be sticking out of the roof, while the leprechaun audience would be spellbind by the flashing feet of the big people. <laughs> Any takers? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Flatley had his legs insured for one million dollars. Sue. True. False. Pounds! Pounds! No, pounds. no. No, it was he, he did have them insured, but for 40 million dollars, oh, not one million dollars. Do you know, I once, uh, genuinely, this is true, I once had my, uh, my old chap insured for uh, a million pounds, ladies mm. and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> what are you insuring Sorry, it's it against? a strange reaction. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, against it falling off or something, I suppose. <laughs> is that likely? 
So if you needed some money, what do you know? You could really bash yourself with a frying pan in the groin. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be go some. And collect. They'll be some. Yeah. Laughing. No, the the insurers would investigate. I think that <laughs> yeah. that has to be the definition of really needing money. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. yeah. You're so broke. Yeah. Good plot for a film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. found a way we can get the money to save the orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> And at the same time, ensure that I don't create any more children. <laughs> in the original fairy tale, the original punishment for the wicked queen in Snow White was to dance in red-hot shoes until she died. <laughs> so I think that bit is true. Hey. You're right. No yeah. way! Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah, it's sort of quite gruesome, isn't it? That she had to dance in red-hot shoes until she died. <laughs> I don't see why the shoes would be red. I mean, would you die any quicker with red or, or red, blue red, shoes? Red, I mean, red, red hot. hot. Oh, red hot, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when Arthur was initially told the punishment, yeah. he went, yeah, fine, yeah, red <laughs> shoes. Dancing red shoes, fine, <laughs> I suppose it, their red hue will hide the bloodstain. <laughs> no, in fact, yeah, it's red hot. Because they do that now, don't they? That's what they used to do in management courses. You have to walk over hot coals and then you become a junior executive. Really? Yeah, yeah I bet, not, I bet not... someone here has been away on some training weekend where you had to do walk on hot coals. Have you? There you are. <laughs> did, it, did it hurt? It didn't hurt. Are you, are you, How do you much bonding you... vodka had you drunk? <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe do you have powers? Well, she might, she might be in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Animals use dance to express very complex emotions and ideas. The shady beetle performs a scurrying dance to inform other beetles that a frog is dying. And, <laughs> and they should get there before the ants. The best dancers in the animal kingdom are cows, who can, who can be trained to bronze medal standard and are an essential part of the Moscow State Circus. In parts of Colombia, if a woman is successful in tripping a man during the ceremonial dance, he is required to have sexual intercourse with her. <laughs> and in parts of Kenya, Maasai warriors perform a ritual jumping dance which represents the enormous distances they have to travel to get to a toilet. <laughs> in Montana, it became illegal for a woman to dance on a table unless she is wearing three pounds, two ounces of clothing. So the strippers wear heavy leather chaps which keep both underbottoms highly visible. I think... Oh, Conceivably, the first part of that is true, that, that there's something about what they can and can't dare wear. Yeah, that's true. It became illegal for a woman to, to dance on a table unless she was wearing three pounds, two ounces yeah. of clothing. It's absolutely true. I don't know why they chose to specify the weight rather than the nature of the clothing. Mm. <laughs> you could just really have just... one very heavy nipple clamp. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Lap dancing was invented by Vera Lap. A stripper from Tupelo, Mississippi, who got round the regulations for stage nudity by taking to the floor and dancing for a single customer. Thank you, Sean. So, uh, Sean, you, you also managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel, and they are that uh, Bruce Lee was Hong Kong cha-cha-cha champion in 1958, <laughs> and apparently he used to teach the cha-cha-cha on, on cruise ships. He was really quite the dancer early yeah. on. Cows are uh, an essential part of the Moscow State Circus. 
And the other truth that Sean managed to smuggle is that in Colombia, if a Goajiro, I don't know how you pronounce that, G-O-A-J-I-R-O, woman is successful in tripping a man during a ceremonial dance, he's required to have sexual intercourse with her. So that means, Sean, you've scored three points. Now the turn of Miranda Hart. Your subject, Miranda, is cricket, a bat and ball team sport usually played on a grass field in the centre of which is a flat strip of ground called a pitch with a wooden target or wicket placed at each end. Off you go, Miranda. Cricket was invented in the late 18th century by Carol Vorderman during an ad-breaking countdown. In some cultures, the game has deep-rooted and unusual social significance. For example, the Admiralty Islanders in the Pacific make their cricket bats from the wood of a tree grown from the artificial leg of the missionary, Elisha Fawcett, who first brought them the game. Sue? I think that might be true at the end. It is true. Oh. Well done. <laughs> which bit of it is true? Look, which the, the, bit? The, the Admiralty Islanders in the Pacific make cricket bats from the wood of a tree grown from the artificial leg of the missionary Elisha Fawcett. Can you grow a, an artificial leg into well, a what, tree? The Islanders claim that when Elisha Fawcett was a missionary and taught them all about God and cricket, uh, when he died, they didn't have enough money or stone or anything for a tombstone, so they just used his wooden leg. Apparently, it took root and turned into a tree, and they made cricket bats out of the tree. I yeah. still don't really believe it because, I mean, it's from a willow tree, isn't it? Cricket bats. Usually, yes. But you can make cricket bats out of not willow. Is that what all other trees are called? <laughs> not willow. Not there are two willow. sorts of forest there. Two sorts not willow. Of tree. Willow. Beautiful willow, beautiful not willow. <laughs> I think they probably make them out of willow because willow is the best wood to make it out of, but that doesn't mean it would totally fail to work if you made it out of, yeah. say, not willow. I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of a not willow bat. I can't no. believe it's not willow. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I carry on? Carry on. On the subject of artificial limbs, in 1796 at Woolworth, a team of one-legged cricketers defeated a one-armed team by 103 runs. However, there was a talk of match-fixing as the official scorer was one of the one-legged party. Arthur. I, I think that might be true that there was a game of cricket between one-legged men and one... I vaguely remember that from the Tiger magazine when I was a boy or I something. didn't know you were that old. Yeah. 1796 it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you yeah. actually, you read the match report. Yeah, I mean, I was at Waterloo and everything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They were all pensioned sailors, and it was a one-armed team and a one-legged team. Unlikely as it sounds, for a time, cricket almost became popular in Australia. Indeed, keen Aussie sportsmen, sorry not to be able to play the game all year round, devised Australian rules football to give cricketers something to play during the off-season. <laughs> I think that's true. You're absolutely right, it is true. It's going really badly, this end. God, keep smuggling them facts. <laughs> I know, it's going Just really think, well. Just think of yourself as a smuggler. That's what <laughs> yeah. I do. All right. right. I'm going to smuggle All some right. facts. What sort of I'm smuggler? Though, a wholesome 18th century brandy smuggler? No, or... I thought of myself as like Doctor Who, right, smuggling illegal immigrants in the TARDIS. <laughs> so wrong, but a little bit jaunty and fun as well. All right. <laughs> Because he could get thousands in there, couldn't he? Really? Yeah. Mm. He yeah, could make a fortune, much more than those lorry drivers. <laughs> yeah. I think I think he's all right financially. Yeah. I don't think. Who? Yeah, I don't think he's worried financially. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, get, you go from one planet to another. You can't always find the exchange, can you? you no. Know? no. I mean, where, do you, where do you change your money if you're going from planet Tharg to planet Dubob? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. 
Well, <laughs> you've forgotten, Arthur, but both Tharg and Doobob are in the Eurob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They've got the same character. Yeah, oh, yeah. of course. Carry on. <laughs> During its brief popularity, cricket took place between teams from England and Australia in a series of so-called pest matches. The winners were traditionally awarded the Ashes, Jane and her brother Peter. <laughs> Jane has catered for cricket teas since its invention, but was sacked in the 80s when Ian Botham became too fat to run. <laughs> In Edwardian times, cricket in England was played exclusively by women. At the time, lady cricketers were obliged to play with blue balls in case they became overexcited at the sight of red ones. It was also the ladies' cricket team... Sue. I'm thinking it's quite possible in the Edwardian era, pre-suffrage, that they thought that the sight of red ball might excite a lady and therefore they should be blue and a little bit more demure. That's absolutely true. Oh, yes. Sugar! Yeah. Um, yes, they did. They played with blue balls, and people have suggested it's because they thought the red balls might have looked a bit too sexy for them. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It was also the ladies' cricket team that pioneered overarm bowling, as the underarm action meant balls getting stuck in their voluminous skirts. Arthur. I think maybe women did overarm bowling first, possibly. No, they didn't. No. Um, people thought that. Legend has it that, that round-arm bowling was pioneered by Christina Wills, but that's not true. It was uh, earlier than that by someone called Tom Walker. Oh, no, but he was copying his sister. <laughs> I mean, I bow to your greater knowledge because you probably met him. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, no, as far as we know, they didn't, no. It's a well-known fact that Prince Philip dislikes cricket. However, he dislikes horse racing even more and sometimes hides a radio in his top hat when he attends the Ascot races so he can listen to the ball-by-ball commentary. Sean? I think he dislikes cricket. Yeah. No, he doesn't. No. Cricket. No. no. Get in. Yeah. Yeah. Crucial to the game of cricket is the figure of the Batman, who swoops down on a long rope and tries to maim the bowler, <laughs> who is so named after his traditional hat. At the other end of the field stands the Wicket Man. At the end of the session, he's taken away to a cliff top and burned inside an effigy. <laughs> Thank you, Miranda. At the end of that round, Miranda, you only managed to smuggle one truth one. past the rest of the panel, and that is that sometimes Prince Philip hides a radio in his top hat when he attends the Ascot races because he likes listening to the cricket. That means, Miranda, that you've scored one point. <laughs> During one county cricket match between Derbyshire and Lancashire in June 1975, play was actually stopped by snow. The explanation is simple. Some spectators had actually turned up to watch it and hell had frozen over. <laughs> in 1796 at Walworth, a team of one-legged cricketers did indeed defeat a one-armed team by 103 runs. The one-armed team were let down by their star bowler, a pacey left-hander. Sadly, he only had a right arm. <laughs> Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus four points, we have Super. It's a terrible shot! In third place, with minus one point, it's Miranda Hart. In second place, with no points, it's Sean Locke. And in first place, with an unassailable seven points, is this week's wow. winner, Arthur Smith. That's about it for this week. All that remains is for me to thank our guests. They were all truly unbelievable, and that's the unbelievable truth. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and 
featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Sean Locke, Arthur Smith, Sue Perkins and Miranda Hart. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.